Exactly. Way of the Wookiee, there we are. <laughs> Let me get the comic. It sounds vaguely dirty somehow. I know. Way of the Wookiee. Sounds like a porno. It probably is. It probably <laughs> is. Oh, uh, God, I need to shave. My neck itches like crazy. It's driving me nuts. Can you hear it? Like, who is that? <laughs> that kid in school? That Randy called Monkey Neck. Who the hell was that? <laughs> oh, no. Do you remember that? No. <laughs> there was that one kid who, uh, he, it's like his hair on his face didn't grow, but the hair on his neck did. <laughs> and so Randy called him Monkey Neck all the time. <laughs> you just reminded me of that. <laughs> Oh, he was f- merciless, man. <laughs> I can't remember that kid's name, though. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Monkey McGinnis, something McGinnis. There was, oh, was yeah, there name? was definitely some kid. Na- there was definitely someone named McGinnis. Yeah, Monkey Neck McGinnis, but I can't remember <laughs> what his first name was. The only thing better would be Monkey Neck McGillicuddy. <laughs> McGilla. McGilla. Just McGilla. Monkey Neck McGilla. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> and now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. I sense a disturbance in the force. You always sense a disturbance in the force. I don't like this. Really pissed me off. Oh no! <laughs> it's a trap! Chewie, get us out of here! You can't run. Ow! Help me! R2! <laughs> this is where the fun begins. And now. Together by live simulation via the internet, Scott Gardner and Chris Honeywell. Our crews can't repel firepower of that magnitude. Hello and welcome to Star Wars Monthly Monday number fifty-seven. I am Chris Monkey Neck Honeywell, <laughs> and I am here with Scott Gardner. <laughs> How's it going? And we are bringing you some more Star Wars. From the Star Wars Omnibus Wild Space Volume 1. Mm-hmm. Um, this time we're going to bring you a double feature of two stories. And sadly again, no Indiana Jones. But we've been, we, we, we are aware that we are slacking on our, <laughs> on our Indiana Jones. We really are. And we don't want to. We want to get back to the Indiana Jones. So we've been kicking around the idea of uh, doing an all-indie catch-up show. 
something something Indiana Jones flavored and and to to pay a little tribute to Indy. And there's also been talk of uh, doing a show more based on Star Wars books. Mm-hmm. Because well, that you've re- like since the last episode, you've read what three? Three? Can you believe that? Yeah, since since the last show, do your um, lips hurt from moving so much? <laughs> I, I can't even remember the name of the, the book that I reviewed last time, but I think I made mention of the fact that, you know, while I'm reviewing this, I'm actually reading this. Well, since that show, I finished that book, which was Exile. I finished Sacrifice, and I just finished Inferno a couple of days ago. Now, you have known me virtually all our lives, and you know how slow I read. You're not so, a fast reader, so yeah. that must be, you must have some good reviews coming from these. Or I, I'm hoping so, but essentially, right. what happened though, is that because I'm blowing through these so fast, they're kind of blurring together to me, so uh-huh. rather than have book reviews at this point, you know, one of our listeners, Jonathan Kreitz, is has been talking to me about, dude, if you ever do, you know, like an EU show or whatever, you know, I really want to be on. Well, you know, so we've been communicating back and forth and I really just want to have Jonathan on and we'll essentially do like an EU special. And I want to talk about this series, Legacy of the Force specifically, but also I know that he wants to talk about kind of, you know, what is the future of the EU? You know, some speculation based on, you know, the next series of movies and all that. That greatly appeals to me as well. So we're going to do that. We're just going to have Jonathan on. The way I'm thinking is as soon as I'm done with this series, Legacy of the Force, I'll take a little break. We'll have him on. We'll discuss. Hopefully we'll be able to keep the discussion just to that series and and not spoil ahead. Because that's the only drawback with these is that it's really hard to remain spoiler-free on things that are happening. But mm-hmm. even being spoiled on a lot of the major events and characters that I knew were going to get killed off and stuff like that, it hasn't ruined it for me. I've I've still been really, really enjoying it. And, uh, yeah, it's been a solid read. And the cool thing is is that things are finally starting to happen. Things are really starting to, to get into motion. Because as greatly as I've been enjoying this series, there's still been that a little bit of that thought in the back of my mind of, geez, you know, this is nine books and they kind of need to move things along. They need to speed things up and make things happen. And why, you know, Luke Skywalker specifically, I kept feeling like, why Why is he just allowing this to happen? Why doesn't he do something? In this last book, he kind of took matters into his own hands. And that was cool. That was really, really cool. So, but like I say, I, I'm itching to talk about it. So we will uh, definitely be moving that uh, the project with Jonathan you know, from the back burner to the front burner just as soon as I can get entirely done with this series. So, so you well, hear that, Jonathan? Like it won't take that long. <laughs> exactly. The going. exactly. Yeah, I'm really flying through them. Uh, I had a, Before we get started proper, I have a couple of quick uh, thank you shout-outs to throw out there. This came in the mail a couple of days ago from... Our buddy Mark Kalmbach, he sent me, I know you're going to remember this from Chris, this is going way back, the Jedi Master's Quiz Book. I just picked that up at a garage sale this oh, summer, too, by Rusty. By Rusty Miller, yeah. I was going to yeah. ask if you had a copy of this, because if you didn't, I was going to offer it to you. Well, seeing as how you have one, you know I have one. I've had one since this mm-hmm. book came out. Let's see. You know what? I meant to look up and see, is this a first print? I think this book only ever had one print. 
No, it's had multiple oh, prints. I, I looked it up on eBay when I got it. This is and a first edition. First print, November, uh, November 1982. So we need oh, we to hated him so much. We need, Yeah, I know. He's, he's one freaky-looking little kid, too. Well, he's probably like our age now. Or, nah, he was probably a little bit younger. Let's see. He was 11 in 82. How old were we in 82? 14? She's a little yeah. younger than us. Anyway... Since you and I both have a copy of this book, and it is really a fantastic book, we need to come up with a contest for the listeners where they can win a, win a copy of this book, and we'll give it away on the show. But we're going to have to come up with something. Maybe maybe find some like really good questions out of the book. Because it, what it is, for those that don't know, this is uh, 425 Cosmic Questions and Answers about Star Wars and the Empire Strikes Back. You see, we can't ask him a question. Because they can just look at that shit up. Yeah, that's all and, right, though. Well, I'm saying let's get him to do so that I don't want. You know, I was thinking like draw a Star Wars picture, but that gets the artists an advantage. Right. I'm thinking something like someone who can come up with the best Chewbacca line or something like that. <laughs> you know, chosen chosen by the judges of you and I will pick out the best one and. And fight it out and decide who wins. Hmm. Well, we'll, we'll kick it around. We'll come up yeah, with something. We will come up with something, definitely. We've got a lot of... Well, I know I've got a lot of comics that need to be given away mm-hmm. and distributed. So we have to start coming up with any contests. Maybe we should have a contest for the person who can come up with the best idea for a contest. <laughs> That's not a bad idea at all. See, I don't have a problem with trivia because, yes, it'll take them two seconds to Google it or whatever. But, I mean, lots of shows, that's how they give away their stuff is doing trivia. So what you do is you do that. You have the the little trivia thing. And then those that got it right, you throw all those names into a hat. And then you just Uh, draw them out, you know. So they have to do a little bit of work for it. So, yeah, it's an idea. Like I said, we'll kick it around. I want to make it as little work as possible for us and <laughs> exactly. more work for them. <laughs> All right, so here's your thousand question. <laughs> All right, anyway. Uh, moving right along here. But thank you, Mark. Ver- thank you very much. That's a nice walk down memory lane because I have not looked at that book in ages. Uh, but I always did love the co- the cover on there. It's a Macquarie a picture of Yoda with all yeah. kinds of strange creatures all around him. I always thought that was really cool. I also got a package the other day. Now, I don't know about you. I've often wondered, you know, because all I ever see her doing is waving. I always wondered, like, what does the queen do? You know, the queen of England? What does she actually do? Like, what is her job, right? She's uh, a figurehead. Well, yeah, but, I mean, everybody's got to have a job or something, right? It's, you know, something that they actually do. I finally figured it out, because this package came the other day, and it says right on it, Royal Mail. So she actually delivered this to me, which I thought Ooh. was really cool. I wish I'd caught her while she was here. You know, it'd be nice Hello. to get a little picture or something, but <laughs> It's <anyway>. for you! <laughs> and uh, this is, of course, from our buddy Andy Laylin, who does uh, Hey Kids comics with his son Michael. And came with a little note here. So it says, Dear Mick Gardner, says, he says, Hope the four of you are doing fine and life where it's always nice and warm isn't getting you down. Says, Angela is still looking for a job. I didn't know his wife was looking for a job. We have jobs here in Orlando. 
Just saying. I know she really wants to come back to Orlando. And, uh, and he says, and all the kids are in the last year of their respective schools, which is scary. <laughs> Tell me about it, dude. I have a senior this year, and I don't know how that happened. He says, anyway, here are a few comics and stuff for you. So I'm going to bust out of his letter here for just a moment to, uh, to go over what he sent me. So first off, very first one here, a comic we talked about not long ago, but in a you know very different format. This is Star Wars Return of the Jedi Christmas Special, a oh. full-length comic strip adventure, The Long Hunt. A Secret from Han Solo's Past. And this reprints, again, it's it's oversized, you know, the British size. It is in full color, which is really cool. It reprints Star Wars Annual Number 1, which I thought was really neat. Because we just reviewed that not long ago. And mm-hmm. what's really funny, I don't know if you'll remember this, but in Star Wars Annual Number 1, at the very back of the story there was those two pages that was the special bonus cover gallery where they showed us all the covers as they looked on Star Wars Weekly in the UK. Right, right. Well, that was for us, the American audience, because we'd never seen that stuff up till now. Well, they reprinted in here as well, so I thought that was really weird. It's like, okay, so they're reprinting it, but they're reprinting it really thoroughly, including showing the British, you know, the uh, English audience... Covers that they've already seen. Already seen. I, I thought that was really cool. There is also this one here. Now I've I've seen these on eBay, but I'd never owned one till now, and I thought this was really cool. It's again, it's a uh, a magazine size thing, and it just says DC. It says the Superheroes Monthly. This is volume two, number four, and it has. A fully painted cover on it, and I don't see artist credit, so I don't know who this is. But there's this dude in the background who looks a lot like Captain Adam, like the newer version of Captain Adam, doing something with electricity and stuff, making stuff bust up and everything. And in the foreground, Batgirl and Supergirl are running toward each other like they're... Well, they kind of look like they're poised to fight, but I kind of... I, I kind of like the fantasize that maybe that yeah maybe that they're gonna you know sure come to find out that they really dig each other a lot like a yeah. whole lot but uh, it's a really nice cover on this and the story inside or the first story inside is a reprint black and white by the way which is really really nice I love this oversized black and white mm-hmm. format and it's an old issue of World's Finest this is an issue drawn by Neil Adams so the art is fantastic and an old hawkman backup feature by uh by joe kubert which is really cool too i like seeing that in black and white but the piece de resistance is star wars summer special for 1985 cover on this one is awesome but i don't want to spoil just yet what it is it reprints two count them two of my favorite Star Wars stories. First one is Silent Drifting, which I think was Star Wars number 24, I want to say. The story where they have the flashback to Obi-Wan in mm-hmm. the old days. You know, where he's aboard that pleasure cruiser and all that. And that cool black and white outfit. And then the second story in here, and this is what's cover featured is Dark Encounter, which is, I forget the issue number, but this is the one 
with the Tyler Lucian story where both Darth Vader and Valance the Cyborg are after the same guy and they end up fighting on that like acidic planet. You know the one I'm talking about, right? Yeah. I love, love that story. One of my absolute favorite issues of Star Wars. And again, here it is reprinted. It's in color. The color really pops. I, I was trying to tell if it's recolored or if it's just more nicely, you know, like maybe their printing process was a little nicer in the UK. But the color really pops. And again, it's in a, in a larger size. Like the, It's even larger than like a super special. And just looks fantastic. Really, really nice stuff. Well, getting back into Andy's letter here real quick, he just says, The Star Wars specials were mine. Uh, he says, But we recently cleaned the house, and the watchword was, Be Ruthless. So anything I had twice, I decided to dump. Rather than uh, give these to the children's library, I thought Scott would uh, get a kick out of them. Which I do very, very much. Like I say, I don't know if Andy was aware that these are two of my favorite issues of Star Wars in this one book, but uh, fantastic. I love this so much. This was a really, really nice gift. And he says, the superheroes I've sent for the cool cover. And yes, it is a very, very cool cover. Very sexy cover. I like that. You can kind of can kind of just get a little bit of a glimpse up Supergirl's skirt there. So I like that sort of thing. Nice. He says, we also recently visited the Titanic ex- uh, exhibition at the Liverpool Maritime Museum where I picked up some flyers for you. And he did, and these are really neat. They had something similar to this when uh, Scotty and I and my sister Holly, a few years back when we were still living in Atlanta, they had a Titanic exhibit come through Atlanta that we went to. And at the beginning of the thing, you got this, it was like a little flyer type of thing. And mm-hmm. it would give you the name, and I can't remember if it gave you a picture or not, but it gave you a name and a brief description. Or no, I know what it was. It was a, a replica of a ticket. That's what it was. It was a replica of a ticket with the name of a passenger. And when you took that, then you were that passenger through the exhibit. And at the end of the exhibit, you actually checked the lists to see, did you make it or not? Oh, it was morbid, but some- really cool, you know, at the same rate. This is something very similar. He sent me here, uh, this is about a dozen, I think, of these little flyers. But these are really cool because it gives you the person's name at the top, gives an actual photograph of them, and a description of them. And what was really neat was a couple of them, I actually knew exactly who they were. Like here they had uh, uh, Michelle and Edmund Navratil. These are the Titanic waifs. So I actually know their story, and it was really neat to look at that and go, oh, okay, well, I know who they are. And uh, the one that I really thought was cool was he gave me one here for Milvina Dean, who she was either the the one the last one to pass away or one of the last ones to pass away, like like one of the longest-lived Titanic survivors, you know, up until like, fairly recent times. I don't know if she was the last one to die, but like I say, one one of the last. And just some different ones. Violet Jessup, whose story I always thought was really cool, and j- some different ones. And then uh, there was also just about an equal stack of people that I was like, hmm, I have no idea. So I'm going to have to look them up to see, you know, what's the story with them. But I, this was really, really cool. And I'm very jealous that he got to go actually see this in the Liverpool 
uh, Maritime Museum because that's, of course, you know, Titanic's home port. So that I'm sure that, you know, that exhibit must have been really, really cool because I'm sure they take a lot of pride in, you know, holding that distinction. So anyway, that's my long witted way of saying thank you very, very much, uh, Andy. I thought that that was really, really nice. And uh, I'm loving these uh, Star Wars weeklies that uh, that I've been getting, mostly from Andy, although uh, Scott Rifen gave me quite a big stack of them a while back. But every time I get these, it just it reignites that passion to okay, I really do want to own a complete run of these things. So keep them coming. A lot of comics, oh, yeah. Oh, I know. I'll keep you busy for a while. Absolutely. I've thought about that, and I was just like, "Ooh, that's a lot to bite off." It is because. You know, just through the very nature of them being weekly, there's yeah. that many more issues because they take a standard issue and split it up into like three, four parts. And then there was there were several series. It wasn't just Star Wars Weekly. There was also Empire Weekly. There was Return of the Jedi Weekly. And then I think they went back to Star Wars for a while. And then there's also like these two issues, you know, the, the, there's all the specials that came out, you know, it was like a summer special and a Christmas special and a spring special. And it's like, man, so it's a lot of stuff. It, they published so long on that series that they actually repeated themselves at one point and they, they republished a lot of stories as well. So, yeah, it would be a monumental task, but I'd love it, you know, just to have like the authoritative Marvel Star Wars collection. You know what I mean? Every, basically everything that was ever published you know, by Marvel, uh, you know, to do with, with Star Wars. I think that'd be great because a lot of these things, you know, not only do they have their own unique cover on them for the UK, but a lot of them had like pinups and things like that, you know, like inside front cover art for like the, uh, like an appendix and, th- you know, just things that mm-hmm. you're not going to see that stuff anywhere. Great ads. But in the, yeah, in the ads. So, Yeah. The, the more I get of these, the more I just I want to keep going, just because I, I really, really like that stuff. And it's just neat, you know, being a fan of, of that era, especially, you know, the the first movie era, you know, from, from number one up until Empire came out, and seeing new artwork, or at least, you know, new to my eyes, new artwork from that era, from these artists that I like so much on this era of Star Wars, that's a treat. You know, just to see stuff that is like, wow, I, you know, never knew that that even existed. And here it is. And you can place it right about the time, you know, these stories were happening. That That's what's been exciting me anyway, just about, you know, covering this omnibus is just seeing, you know, new covers and new material from an era that felt very familiar to us until we started to dig into it. And then you're like, wow, this is really cool. And then trying to place that into the context of, OK, when must this have been happening in relation to the the regular American series that was coming out, I, I I'm really getting a kick out of it. It's it a lot of fun. But that's all I got on that. Yeah, let's take a quick break and then uh, plug some promos. Maybe we'll we can dig one up promos. for A Kids Comics. Yeah, see what you got there, and then we'll uh, jump right back into uh, the way of the Wookie. Podcast. You do know this is an audio medium. Watch our podcast. 
but you can watch podcasts, but not ours, because let's face it, we've got faces for radio. Um, no, wait, I've got it. Give me a second, right? What? Just listen to our podcast. Listen to our podcast. Snap it. It's short, sweet. I'm liking it. It's good. It's great. Not exactly telling people what our podcast is about, though, is it? You read comics. We read comics. That's true. That's good. Liking it. Liking this pitch. Carry on. Right. Talk about comics. We do. We talk about comics. We read comics, and then we talk about them because we can't talk about them before we read them. Excellent. Keep going. And then we sing badly. Yes. Well, badly is purely subjective. But how many other comic book podcasts do you know where people sing? Ages comics every Thursday. Two true freaks. Don't come. Let me bring it back. It's funny, as soon as my screensaver just switched up to a picture, the uh, bad Photoshop of Chewbacca doing Princess Leia doggy style. <laughs> <laughs> That's the way of the Wookiee right there. Just as I said, way of the Wookiee. I don't like this. Uh, <laughs> that, that goes back to our comments at the beginning of it sounding fairly obscene. Okay, yeah, bring it back in. All right. <clears throat> Hello and welcome back to Star Wars Monthly Monday number 57. And we're going to go ahead and jump into the next story in the Star Wars Omnibus Wild Space Volume 1. Chris has got the synopsis for a little story we like to call The Way of the Wookiee. Yes, we like to call it that. And so did so did <laughs> Star Wars Weekly, apparently. <laughs> and and uh, talking about Star Wars Weekly, we here we go. We're going to have three episodes. Three issues of Star Wars Weekly, where the story comes from, from between December 12th and the 26th of 1979. So this was in Star Wars Weekly number 94 through 96. Price? 12p, governor! (laughs) Is that pence? 12 pence, governor! Very good. And uh, we had Archie Goodwin, the writer... Carmine Infantino and Pablo Marcus did the art. Irv Wananabe is the letter, and Howard Bender is the tonist. The tonist. <laughs> and um, the story, of course, as we said before, is called The Ray of the Wookiee. <clears throat> um, we have a pre-Star Wars Han and Chewie on their way to the planet Formos to pick up some spice from Kessel. They almost collide with an Imperial prisoner ship while they're in the process of landing on the planet. On the planet, they pose as dealers looking for farm equipment, but still draw the eyes of the Imperials. This is not good news to Nimrith, Jabba's man on the planet with the spice. He tells the pair to keep a low profile lest they end up slaves too. Directly after this, Han and Chewie see some Imperials leading a shackled Wookiee. Chewie flips out and runs at them, only to be stunned unconscious by Han, who shoots him in the back. Um, Han barely talks his way out of prison with a bullshit story about the two Wookiees fighting and damaging other prisoners and slaves, and uh, gets Chewie back to the Falcon. Uh, Back at the ship, Chewie tells uh, Han that the other Wookiee is... Honk. An old rival. Han says uh, <laughs> basically he should just chalk it up to, ba- to good luck that Honk's on his way to Kessel's slavery. But the way of the Wookiee dictates that Chewie sneak out and kidnap an unconscious Honk 
from an imperial prison ship, which he does, causing much excitement and noise. He shows up with Honk! Just in time to leave with the spice and say goodbye to Nmrith. But they are busted by stormtroopers and Han and Chewie beat a hasty retreat only to be caught between an Imperial cruiser and the prison ship. They are boarded, but check out clean because Chewie dumped the spice on takeoff and switched places with Honk! They drop off a pissed Honk! who doesn't like being in Chewie's debt and take off to explain to Jabba why they had to dump his spice. And sure, Jabba will understand. <laughs> Won't cause any trouble down the line. <laughs> I really like this story because now we're back into... This is right out of the pages of early Marvel comics. Yep. It's, you know, classic Carmine Infantino... It's a great story that explains, you know, why he's in debt to Jabba. And um, and it's good because it made Han Solo sound like kind of a chicken when Greedo was describing it. But when you see the story, you go, okay. You know, it was actually an ingenious move and Chewie's fault, by the way. And it was the way of the Wookiee. So what are you going to do? I was doing a little homework on this story. And one of the things I turned up, gave me even more respect than I already had for writer A.C. Crispin and her Han Solo trilogy because I knew that she pulled a whole bunch of stuff into that trilogy of books, you know, and incorporated a lot of different elements of canon. But I didn't realize at the time that I read those that she actually incorporated this story into that Han Solo trilogy, and I think that's really cool. Oh, I think she cool. deserves big kudos for that. Because she actually did a little bit of a retcon that, yes, they did dump the spice, but it wasn't this specific dump of spice that was the one that ended up really pissing Jabba off and getting the, the um, price put on Solo's head. Which is interesting, and I can only guess that she did that because in this story, it's actually Chewie that dumps it, not Han. Which, I, I, it's well, kind I of a minor... Well, Han takes responsibility because right, yeah. kept, he's captain of the ship, so... Right. I mean, I, I can't imagine, like, you know, Han being cornered by Greedo and being like, well, well, I didn't do it, Chewie did it, you know, like you say, he takes responsibility, but still, it was one of those things that was like, when you actually read this story and it's Chewie that did it, I'm kind of like, well, I don't know. Does that match up or does that not match up? You know what I mean? So, But, uh, yeah, I agree with you. I think this is a fun little story as well. I really got a kick out of it. And uh, Chewy Action Hero was a lot of fun in this one. <laughs> There's a ton, I mean, just a ton of, of great Chewy dialogue in this one mm -hmm. because essentially it's just Han and Chewy through the whole story. So, There's you know. Work. Oh, work. man. A work. Vart. <laughs> Grark. <laughs> now I'm trying to find the page. Maybe I wonder if it, I think it's a, it might be in another story. I swear to God, they've got Chewy farting. Yes, it's page seventy-four. <laughs> he's he's you saw that too. Yes, Han is working on I don't know a stable <laughs> yes. or something. Chewie is literally sitting on his haunches with his arms crossed, pouting in the corner. Looking and like right under his up. ass is the word, <laughs> I'm just thinking, he just, 
he just snuck one out. <laughs> yeah, and if you think about it, if you think about it, okay, listen to this dialogue, okay? I can't believe you did what you did back in town. I think I would have lost control like that if I'd been dragging off some Karelian. <laughs> this is serious. <laughs> what kind of smuggler that say someone in danger's chance of making a buck? So I think that was Chewie's little comment to what Han was saying. Well, plus, once you've seen that video of Chewie and the Ewok, and his ass walk, with an yeah, Ewok. yeah. <laughs> it really reminds me of that because he could just as easily be taking a squat right here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, let's see here. I had a couple of notes on this one. Pages sixty-six and sixty-seven. All right, I know this is a nitpick, but it just irritated me because I couldn't put the physics of it together in my mind. All right, so look at the the top panel, which is the double page. I don't know what you'd even call that. Double page panel, I guess. Mm -hmm. And Han narrowly avoids, as you say, plowing into that prison ship, right? And they're clearly going across its bow above the ship, right? And then you've got one, two, three panels later, and they're, they're going it. under it in the same direction. So, uh, what are they, loop-to-loop? -loop uh, actually, a well, loop wouldn't even work to do Okay, that. theoretically, just with space, it looks, like he's right on t it looks like he's on the bow of it. But if that thing's ginormous, like, you know, if he's way, way, way above it, he would still have plenty of room to dip down and go under it because he's still to one side of it. Mm, okay. But if he's just flying over the surface of it, then it's a lot smaller than it should be. Right. I'm thinking, you know, the Falcon is, you know, like a hundred miles away from it right now. You know what I mean? Right. It's huge. It's like it's like super star destroyer size. It's like a blocky super star destroyer or star destroyer. So Or maybe that second panel is now the prison ship is closer to us as the reader. And so Han isn't really so much flying under the ship as this is the the ship is now closer to us and Han's farther away and we're just seeing the trails. Yes. That makes sense. Either one of those makes sense once you put it that way. But it's just on, on a quick. You shouldn't visual, have to think about it that yeah. much, though, with a with it like that. Yeah. Yeah. But just on a quick visual of it, it, it doesn't look quite right when you when you first see it. Next like, page. Oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. I just say I was I like sweaty Han Solo on page sixty nine on the last <laughs> panel. They go to the uh, the intergalactic sauna. Snot dripping off his nose. Yeah, it's gross. Then he looks like, and then the next page, he looks like Tarzan. He looks like Chewie and Tarzan. That's Infantino. What are you going to do? This just feels like coming home to me, you know? Yeah, exactly. It really does. I mean, for, for all of Infantino's quirks and, you know, artistic choices and, you know, definitely Sasquatch Chewie, you know, I, I still love it. I really do. Mm -hmm. I mean, look at page 71. Quick draw Han is just cool. Those top four panels where you see him making that split-second decision, what's he going to do about Chewbacca? And he just whips out his blaster and stuns him in the back. I, it's, I love that. That's a nice little sequence. Right out, you can see... Right out of a Western. Yeah, you can see 
uh, Infantino's time on Westerns, you can see that influence because Han almost looks like Pow Wow Smith right there, and Infantino worked on that book for DC back in the day. So I can I can very easily see that influence on this, and I, I love it. I think it's really neat. I also noticed that uh, that last panel right there before the end of the first issue... Doesn't the city behind the stormtroopers kind of look like Ape City from Planet of the Apes a little bit? Yes, it does. Yeah, <laughs> or like like a combination of like Ape City and like where was it that the Flintstones, Bedrock or whatever? Bedrock. <laughs> <laughs> Stop me if you got anything else because I'm jumping way ahead here. Page seventy six, okay. top panel, an Imperial troop transport. Yeah, I thought that was really cool. I always liked it when those things showed up. I a work. <laughs> oh, some great chewy dialogue. And the bottom of that page, the last two panels, there's a little droid that wheels up to Han, and essentially from the waist up, it looks more or less like a 3PO unit. From the waist down, it's a unicycle. And I thought that that was both really cool, but also kind of prophetic, because eventually we would see droids like that, like in the prequels. Yep. Yep, yep they're and, just um, a wheel for instead of legs. And from the side, it looks a little bit like a medical droid too, a little bit. Yeah, yeah, you're right, like a two one B. Yeah, I did notice something though. It wasn't until the very last page that I noticed it, where on the third panel, Han says Kashyyyk, and then in the very last panel, he mentions Jabba the Hutt. And I remember reading something about. You know, just spelling errors and stuff. You know that were common in in this. You know, in Marvel Star Wars. So I looked it up because I have a copy of um, oh, what do you call it? The Marvel Comics Illustrated version of Star Wars, the nineteen eighty one edition, which, by the way, has a really nice painted cover on it. Well, the painted cover on there is Han shooting Chewie in the back. That's the oh. cover on that book. Because it reprints Way of the Wookiee inside. So I had that, so I looked it up, and sure enough, they actually spell-checked and spell-corrected all of the spellings of both Kashyyyk and Jabba the Hutt in this particular story in the omnibus. Because Kashyyyk was misspelled constantly, and Jabba the Hutt, back in these days, Hutt was always spelled with one T. One T. And they corrected yeah. all of them to, uh, to the two T, which is minor, but... That sort of thing always kind of bugs the nitpicker in me, you know, the the one that would like, oh, you know, I really like it when they reprint them right from the original form. Because uh, I remember not long ago I got one of those those phone books, you know, the, um, what do you call it, Marvel Essentials. Mm-hmm. I got one uh, for Spider-Man. It's like the Volume 1 Spider-Man. And the first thing I do when I get a reprint of, I think it's issue 3, Three, I want to say, of Amazing Spider-Man. I go straight to see, did they spell correct, or not really? It's not really a spelling error. It's just a, a mistake. Doctor Octopus actually calls Spider-Man Superman. And oh, whoops, I remember that. Yep. Almost every time they reprint that story, they correct it, and I'm always disappointed when they do because it's like, come on, that's a piece of comic history, you know? Yeah. So leave it alone. <laughs> But uh, that's essentially all I had on this one. I get a kick out of it. I think this story is a lot of fun. Yes, it's it's uh, it's it's good to see Infantino back. Mm-hmm. 
And actually, and we're about to even go, take another step up mm-hmm. on, the, on the next story, on your story. I agree. By the way, the the covers on there, we didn't really talk about the covers much at all, but uh, I thought the covers were really good. And I like, when now that we're in these individual chapters of Star Wars Weekly in the Omnibus, they actually do reprint all of the covers. Mm-hmm. And I looked them up, and depending on what source you look at, they're all obviously by Infantino, but... Uh, a couple of different sources I looked at argued about who the inker was on 94. One of them said it was Mike Esposito. The other one said it was Bob Wycheck. I'm not really sure who it could, you know, who it is definitely on there. But 95 and 96, definitely Infantino and Wycheck. And, uh, and I really liked those covers. I thought the covers were, were kind of cool. 95 cracks me up because it looks like Chewie's just like rubbing Hrunk's belly. <laughs> it's like, Gucci, Gucci, go. 96 is a really strange one, though. It's like the Rainbow Bright. Yeah. Star Wars cover. Yeah, it's bizarre. It looks like I actually like it would be like um, packaging for a toy or something. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, very much so. Like a pack of stormtroopers or something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah you're right. Well, are we ready to dive right into the next one? I think I am. All right. So what's really neat is that this is the next story in the omnibus, but it was also the next issue or the next three issues rather of star Wars weekly. So reprinting the, the whole gap right in order, which I thought was really nice. So we've got here, star Wars weeklies issues, 97, 98 and 99. Again, original cover price was 12 pence. These are the January 2nd, 9th and 16th, 1980 cover dated issues. Covers are by uh, Infantino and Wyacek, and they depict, on the first one, an extremely phallic-looking X-Wing is blowing up what is presumably the Death Star. On the next one, you've got giant baby-headed Luke Skywalker watching (laughs) a gorgeously illustrated TIE fighter attack a very, very, very Star Wars sketchbook-looking version of uh, an X-Wing. I noticed this through the story. Because originally I was going to make several notes about how wonky the X-Wing looks. But I actually dug out my copy of the Star Wars sketchbook for a whole different reason. I I dug it out to look up that prison ship. Because I thought I had seen a sketchbook sketch of an early, like a prototype Star Destroyer that looked like the prison ship. I couldn't find that. But flipping through that book, again... I found pictures of the X-Wing that really explain Infantino's take on the X-Wing because some of them are outright swipes, which I thought was really interesting. I think the background in in that cover looks like Steve Ditko, especially that planet with the little lines and dots on it and stuff. It just looks like a Steve Ditko, Doctor Strange. Which one are you talking about? I'm talking about number 90, is it 96? 96. With baby head Luke. (laughs) 90, yeah, I think that's 98, right? 98, I'm going blind. Going to it real quick here. Yes, yeah, you're right. Yeah, it does. It looks like a a Ditko-verse is what I always like to call it. Yeah, you're right. With a funky planet. Well, those planets are way too close together. If you got planets that close (laughs) together. Clusters. Yeah. You just hop over from one planet to shoot yourself from a cannon from one planet to another, like Super Mario or something. Definitely. Well, then the last cover 
is my personal favorite of the three, you've got what essentially is Kang the Conqueror doing something um, extremely rude to Luke from behind while he's also trying to gut him with his dagger. And uh, I love it. It's a really, and plus you've got like a crash ship. They're in the water. It's just really cool. Yeah, it's a really interesting picture because it's like shot half in and out of the water. So you can see what's going on under the water and above the water. Mm -hmm. I like the use of color on this because Luke's outfit, it's essentially his awards ceremony outfit, but the jacket is colored pure white, which looks really cool. And then his undershirt is black or maybe it's dark blue dark blue with yeah. tan pants but it's a really good look and it's, it's very similar to a look that he would eventually adopt way late in marvel star wars but I, I like how he looks on this cover so anyway uh interior credits we got archie goodwin once again as the writer on all three issues infantino and one of my favorite inkers for carmen infantino gene day oh yeah this gene day is awesome when paired oh with yeah him. when i saw gene day was on this i was just like oh this is gonna be gorgeous because I was trying to remember, why do I like this story? I mean, as much as I like Way of the Wookiee, don't get me wrong, why did I like this story so much more? And there you go. As soon as I saw that first opening splash page, and it's Gene Day, I was like, oh, that's why, right there. Because beautiful yeah, and but, detailed. Yeah, you uh, put the two of them together, and it's just, Gene Day was a hell of an artist. Uh, let's see, you got Irv Watanabe as the letterer, Howard Bender once again as the toner, and this story is called The Day After the Death Star. Luke Skywalker, still all hyped up from the events of the first Star Wars film, stands atop one of the uh, Masasi temples, peering into the night sky while the giant gas planet of Yavin looms large overhead. He's still dressed in his award ceremony outfit, including that swanky jacket that I really need to get one of. And he's proudly sporting the medal that Princess Leia gave him at the end of the first movie. And he reflects on all the events that led to that great honor of him getting the medal and all that. And then the cool celebration that followed. And he fills us, the reader, in on events that happened after the closing credits of the film. Like Princess Leia giving a medal to Chewbacca, which I thought was really cool. So Luke is so wound up that he, he just can't sleep. So he heads down to the hangar bay. And along with R2-D2, they streak off into the night in search of just more adventure, basically. Just a little joyride. And quickly, Luke finds himself, you know, right in the thick of things again when he's attacked by an Imperial TIE fighter. And this presumed straggler from the Battle of Yavin gives Luke a run for his money. But eventually, Luke manages to get the upper hand and he lines up the Imperial in his sights. And he's about to waste him when he realizes... Nobody ever bothered to re-energize his X-Wing's guns, so Luke can't fire. There's no power to the weapons. So he's kind of stuck, and in a last-ditch effort to just take this enemy out, Luke actually rams his X-Wing into the TIE Fighter, and essentially he tears off most of one of his wings to take out the left wing of this TIE Fighter and send it plunging down to the surface of the fourth moon of Yavin. So Luke's X-Wing is pretty screwed up at this point, and it suffers this really horrific series of, like, skids and bumps and everything until it comes to this final crash in a swamp. Very similar to, to Empire and him crashing on Dagobah, but, but that much worse. Actually, a, a lot more like the crash that he suffered in um, Splinter of the Mind's Eye. Pretty much destroys his Starfighter. And somewhere along the line... 
it dislodged R2-D2, and Luke doesn't know where he is. So Luke, of course, is miraculously unhurt, as he always is, and drags himself to shore. And he's now seriously pissed about, well, you know, he messed up pretty bad, but he's also he's stuck on this planet with no ride, and he's got a busted comlink and everything. So, you know, he, he's starting to feel sorry for himself when all of a sudden the uh, TIE fighter pilot, who also survives, starts taking shots at him. So they're both on foot, and the TIE fighter pilot's hunting Luke now. But Luke climbs up a tree, gets a jump on the uh, Imperial, and the two tussle around until they finally plunge into a lake together. And the Imperial tries to drown Luke, but Luke grabs a hold of the guy's air hose and just rips it out, and the guy starts to choke to death. So Luke grabs a hold of the guy, drags him back to the surface, dumps him on the riverbank, and then he picks up this club and he's going to bash the guy's face in. And then he stops, and he takes the guy's helmet off, and Luke does that, oh, he performs so well, that comic book cliche speech about, you know, becoming... Uh, I can't can't club Liberace in the face. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. You know, if I do it, I'm no better than they are, and, uh, you know, that, that comic book cliche. But eventually, Han and 3PO, having tracked R2's heat signature didn't know he had one sure why not yeah exactly they arrive on a land speeder floating over the water i might add which i thought was really cool and they pick luke up and that's essentially the story on this one so if i haven't said it enough i love love the art in this story a lot of black and white yes god yeah it's gorgeous this reminds me of when I I first got the little paperback of the first, you know, the the Star Wars movie adaptation yeah. and it was in black and white and I was just like, "Oh, this looks awesome, but it's bigger." And yeah, this is and what's great about this made to be black and white. You know, this was drawn and designed and toned for black and white. Mm-hmm. So it's just it's beautiful. This I mean, you just can't say how much Gene Day keeps the Infantino style intact, but sort of smooths over and takes out the wonkiness. Mm -hmm. Like, the spaceships in this are gorgeous. Like, page 98, the, the shot in page... And it's good to sort of see Infantino when... It happened a couple times in the in the regular run where he draws events from the movie. Yeah. Because he didn't get to do the original, you know, adaptation of it. So it's kind of neat when you see the scene of the Star Destroyer and Luke, remember, and, um, well, it's actually, this isn't a scene from the movie, but it's, it's sort of set the yeah. Death Star. Yeah. And that's just a gorgeous panel there with Luke fighting Vader, yep. you know, in the doorway of a of the precipice of the Death Star and a Star Destroyer flying overhead. It's just beautiful use of black. Yep. I had a note on the very same panel because I think it's beautiful. I I even like the headshot of Luke as he's daydreaming. The use of shade there is really, mm-hmm. really nice as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's not even the tonus. That's just Gene Day, either Gene Day or Infantino doing, you know, hash lines. Mm-hmm. Looks great, though. It really does. I love 
the opening splash to the story, which is on uh, mm-hmm. on eighty nine, where Luke's just you know he's just standing there. He's on top of one of the temples, and he's high enough that you can see like the forest floor, and you can see another temple off in the distance. But everything has a haze. You know, there's a fog in the air. Everything has like a like almost like a haze or a heat shimmer type of thing. And you know, Yavin is huge in the sky, and it's just a gorgeous, gorgeous piece. Of, I really like that one. But yeah, the art in this is fantastic. I do have to point out though that uh, page ninety-two, that last panel, that is not what the destruction of the Death Star looked like. This actually reminds me of that living planet thing that Luke and Leia wound up on in the Michael right. Golden issue. That that like ego, the living planet looking thing that. You know, the bubblegum planet. Yes, this is a very chaotic explosion, (laughs) which is more realistic. There's pieces flying off it and stuff. Well, it's like the Death Star was full of fireworks or something. Yeah. It's it's just going all over the place. You know, say what you want about Infantino. I know he has his critics. I know the guy's not perfect. Some of the art in this, as much as it's awesome, a lot of it's wonky. The X-Wing's really wonky. But I love, love... Infantino's TIE Fighters. I mean, next to yes. next to Michael Golden, he's probably my second favorite artist for uh, for X-Wing. Or, I'm sorry, not X-Wings, but TIE Fighters. His TIEs just look great. Sometimes his X-Wings have kind of short wings. Well, yeah, it, it's, very, it's very, very much. If you go back and, and consult your, uh, your Star Wars sketchbook, he's drawing a proto-X-Wing, essentially. X-Wing right out of the the early sketches. That's why it looks wonky like that. Because I was looking at it and going, all right, this is so weird from panel to panel because I love the tie and hate the X-Wing. But then once I looked at the, you know, those pictures in the sketchbook, I realized, well, he can be criticized for not drawing the finished official version, but he's doing a hell of a job of imitating the one that's in the, of the proto one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's dead on. So, well, the, sh- the shot of the X-wing hitting the side of the Tie Fighter and taking out its wing is great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my only criticism of this entire dogfight sequence, and this was a criticism I had quite often of Infantino, is if you look on page ninety-nine, the first panel when the Tie comes in and then follow the entire battle all the way through to where Luke rams the ship, the TIE fighter's wings get smaller and Uh smaller and smaller and smaller until he finally takes it out. It's like they were shrinking a little bit in each panel Uh until they're essentially the same exact size as the cockpit by the time Luke rams into it. Uh It bugs me once I noticed it. Um, Well, he's also got like the Darth Vader configuration if you look at the wings on it and you look at his cockpit see what I mean sort of kind of yeah they don't bend inward but they're like sideways almost like that yeah instead of being you know they should be flat in the front right sometimes they are flat in the front so maybe he pictured the TIE fighters with the with those rotating or something, because sometimes the points on the front, weird. That yeah, I can see Carmine. that. Carmine. <laughs> After Luke's Tie Fighters crash, that shot, the very first panel on one hundred and six, where it's 
the nose is in the water. Actually, it kind of looks a lot like uh, the ship Charlton Heston crashes in in Planet of the Apes. It reminds me a little Splinter of the Mind's Eye too. Oh, definitely, yeah, with the wings because the wings are essentially ripped right off. They're the just gone. Yeah, yeah, it's a mess. But it's got like vines and things all wrapped around it. You know, so you can see it went through trees before it actually wound up in the lake. I, th- I think that's really cool. I just wonder why the TIE fighter pilot doesn't have any kind of stormtrooperness to him. No, because not at all. Usually they had that black mask, you know, or whatever, and this guy's just sort of like the Empire version of a suited-up rebel. He... He's got sort of an aqua, aqua lung setup. I mean, if it wasn't for the cover being in color, I never would have made the uh, the connection with Kang, but he does have... You know, the purple and green thing going with that helmet, he does look like Kang the Conqueror. I don't know if you know who that character is. But in the issue itself, like, say, the third panel on page 107, that shot of the Imperial coming over that that tree trunk or tree root or whatever it is right there, he actually looks like an amalgamation of several different Marvel Comics villains, like um, the Melter and... uh, Pace Pot Pete, and there's a couple other elements, but he he looks more, you know, just like a standard comic book bad guy than he does an Imperial pilot, which is weird because we saw Imperial pilots in Star Wars in the first movie. So yeah, again, I I don't think I have a feeling that Infantino didn't use the movie much for reference, and of course this was well before you know you could just pull it off your shelf, you know, and pop it in the you know, the VHS or in the DVD or whatever, you know, you'd actually have to go see it, you know. But you would think that they would have been supplied something by Reference. Lucasfilm. Yeah. I don't know. It's a minor quibble, but... Could have gone out and bought the trading cards. <laughs> yeah, that's true. For reference pictures. That was about the richest source in those days. What the hell is with Luke's eyes on that second panel of 109? I mean, maybe there's something in the water that is, like, really reacting with his eyes or something, but he's... Oh, my God. Yeah, he's got swimming pool-itis. <laughs> <laughs> and that angle that he's swimming up when he's dragging the pilot back to the surface, that's not natural. That's not the Yeah, that's not the best way to get to the surface. Oh, you know what? I just noticed that the, the pilot's bare ass is hanging out of his yeah. pants there in that panel, yeah. too. Yeah, he's got the new... Droopy jean, droopy ass he's, jeans like he's got, kids these days. He's got assless chaps on. <laughs> he was a plumber before he was a high fighter pilot. <laughs> That's why he took the fight to the water. It was his element. Alright, here's another quibble for you. Because I noticed this happened in this last story, the story that you reviewed as well, but I thought I'd save it to point it out here. I do love the the panel. Oh, you know what? I just noticed something. Leia's there, too, in the land speeder. I never noticed that before. In black and white, it's hard to see her, but do you see her right there? Oh, yeah. You got 3PO driving, Han's standing on the pod on the back, pointing. You got R2 there, looking like he's shaking water off of him. And then Leia's actually sitting in the other seat. Actually, she might be piloting now that I look at it, but I, I didn't see her there before. But anyway... You know, Luke pointed out in his own dialogue in the first movie 
that his particular model of land speeder was like the old obsolete model. Yet every damn time that we see a land speeder in it's Marvel that Star Wars, it's that model. Because yeah. in the last issues that you know, the last story rather that you just covered, there was a land speeder in there, and then here you're seeing a land speeder again, and then right around this time, I believe in the American Marvel Star Wars was a. This was right around the time where they were getting into the return to Tatooine, where once again, same model of of land speeder. So I don't know. I guess they just weren't imaginative to come up with a new version or something like that. Well, one thing I'm I'm surprised you neglected to mention right off at the beginning, we've got a return to awkward um incestuous making out. Oh, that's right. And Luke Luke, you know, pining for his sister. Something you know, that's like a vintage it's like a flavor from a vintage wine. You know that this was d- written and drawn pre you know, Return of the Jedi because Luke's going, ah, but at least I got my chance to make out with her too. Well, you know, I was thinking about something earlier today, just to give the listeners a a little peek behind the curtain here. Earlier today, Chris and I were guests on a show, and I don't know when this is going to come out, so... It's going to be a while. Yeah, I imagine you'll be able to look look forward to this. But uh, Chris and I were invited on very graciously to be guests on an excellent new podcast that I hope you are listening to called Trentus Magnus Punches Reality. Great show. And we were on there uh, to talk with him about the, uh, the Infinities series, specifically the, uh, the one for The Empire Strikes Back. Toward the end of the show, we got in a little discussion like, you know, essentially, the Infinities, if you don't know, they're kind of like what-if stories. Like, what if, you know, the Wampa had killed Luke was essentially the uh, the premise of the Infinities, The Empire Strikes Back. But I posed the question toward the end of it, if you were going to do a what-if story of Star Wars, what would your what-if scenario be? And I can't remember who brought it up, but there was one of the three of us brought up the idea of something that would have changed the story radically right at the beginning by taking essentially taking Han Solo off the table. And I got to thinking, with Han Solo off the table early enough in the story... Uh, yeah, you might have had some three-armed children. Exactly, yeah. Eventually what happens is everything works out, you know, the Empire gets overthrown and everything, but one day, you know, Luke and Leia are, are living, you know, living in, you know, the planet, you know, in their little uh, space, uh, you know, Winnebago or whatever... And wonder why all their kids are freaks. You know, <laughs> you know we, we love little Luke Jr. Glasses. Have three eyes. You know why? Yeah, exactly. He's, his his legs are four inches long, but he does real good with what he's got. You'd think. Hopefully, their midichlorians would like repel each other or something. <laughs> One can only hope. All right. Getting back to this just briefly to wrap up. Sure. Here. I really would like to know what happens to this Imperial pilot because Luke spares his life. So whatever happened to the guy? I don't remember him ever being mentioned again. So do they just they lock him up? They feed him to Chewie. They, they drag this poor schlub with them when they abandon the planet and go to Hoth. What happens to the guy? You know, they give him, you know, they, pin they a, just leave him there with, you know, a... Uh, uh, bucket full of apples and 
<laughs> Good luck, dude. He becomes space Johnny Appleseed. Here's a blanket and some apples. I don't know. That's all we got left. We got some cans of beans and dog food. See you later. Some Wookiee chow. <laughs> Bye. Uh, I was also wondering, I noticed on every single one of these issues on the cover, I, I was actually, frankly, I was really surprised that they did this. You know, they, they expunge all reference to Marvel Comics on the cover of these, because at the time that this was printed, um, D, uh, Disney didn't yet own the the Star Wars franchise, meaning that they weren't, you know, Marvel and Star Wars were, were no longer in-house together. Now they are. So I'm very curious in the future if we will see the Marvel stuff left on these covers when they reprint it. But anyway, there's no reference to anything Marvel. However... On each one of the covers, there is a box that tells you the other co-features, you know, all the backup features in that particular issue. Every single one of them says, amongst the features that are in there, like right at the moment I've just randomly pulled up the cover to a 99, and it says, plus Deathlock, Tales of the Watcher, and then every single one of them said this, Guardians of the Galaxy. With that movie looming large... I wonder, do you think that might possibly drive up the price on the back issues of this series if, if Guardians is a big hit? It might. It very well might. Because I, I think it has a lot of potential to be... Uh, it's, a, is it all re, it's all reprinted Guardians of the Galaxy oh, stuff, sure. right, is it? I'm sure. I, know, I mean, well, I, sh- I shouldn't say that because I don't know for sure. I'm assuming, but I would guess that it probably was you know reprinted because... Uh, granted, I don't have a whole lot of issues of Star Wars Weekly, but what I do have, the backup features I've seen that are, um, you know, other Marvel, Marvel Comics titles like, say, Warlock or um, Rom or Micronauts, they're all called from, you know, existing issues right. of the American titles. I, I didn't see anything in there that I believe to be, you know, all original or, you know, new for the UK. So I, I can only assume guardians is probably the same thing. And by this time they, they'd have a pretty good amount of stuff to have pulled from for reprinting, you know, backup stories or what, but again, just a guess, but you know, these issues would be worth tracking down to get, you know, not only the star Wars stuff, but if they're reprinting Deathlock and reprinting the Deathlock stuff by buckler in oversized black and white, Oh my God! I would die to see that. You know, have you ever seen that stuff? No. Deathlock by Buckler. Oh, gorgeous, beautiful stuff. Really, really nice stuff. And you know, Deathlock wasn't a bad story either. You know, Deathlock was uh, Deathlock was kind of like RoboCop before RoboCop in a lot of ways. Kind of like half RoboCop, half Spawn in the sense of his origin. You know. He he died and was you know reanimated as a you know cyborg hunter killer type of thing. Good stuff. I like that title a lot. But that's essentially all I got on this one. I was trying to figure out how do we want to handle the next uh, next month stuff because that well, next. I don't know. Story, Are we going to do Indiana Jones next month? Oh yeah, maybe we should. Maybe we should take a little break from this and do. I was. 
was thinking we could either do that or we could wrap all this up and then do an indie spin. What, what do you think? Maybe we should leave yeah. it to the listeners? If we wrap all this up, we're going to have a lot of indie to catch up on. That's true. That's true. Yeah, we could do a an indie uh, catch-up catch up episode. I mean, how many stories we got to get caught up essentially where we would be? Like three, four stories, something like that? I don't know. Yeah, well, at least two or three. Yeah. yeah no, no, for we'll that. just pick out a show's worth. That works for me. That works for me. Then, then we get to savor this that much longer. Yeah, we get to shut up all the people who've been... <laughs> from or Indiana Jones too. I like that idea. Cool. Well, we got anything else for this one? Or we pretty much said it all. I think I'm. I think I'm pretty wrapped up on on those two stories. Um, so far, I think those are the. Well, I think we've hit the two best, the two high points so far on this omnibus this Definitely. month. I, they were great. Definitely, I agree. I was sort of peeking ahead to see if there's some more Gene Day. An Infantino going on in here, and there is so that's awesome. I know there's more Infantino. Is this day that's inking him? Oh, it is. There is, there yeah. is a, there's a, at least one more story that's Infantino and Day. Excellent. So yeah, we got some great stuff to look forward to. Depending on how we end up breaking that up, I'm thinking that we probably have. This is just a guess, but I'm thinking we probably have at least like three more episodes worth out of the omnibus because we've got the story that this next story looks like it runs for for quite a number of issues for a looks while, like star yeah. wars weekly 104 through 115 so that's a big old chunk then you've got the empire strikes back number 149 which that's that issue i actually have that issue andy Leyland sent it to me some time ago that's the one store uh one marvel star wars story i've never read i've been holding that in reserve but the that death one's a small mask. one. Yeah, death, ma- death Mask, yeah. I've been holding that one in reserve, but it looks like a short story. So I don't know if you know if we do the whole if we do just that one on its own, I don't know that there'll be that much. And then you've got Devil Worlds one and two, which again, I'm not sure how many stories are in those or how long that would take us to do. So I'm thinking, you know, between all this material, probably still another three or so episodes. And then I know we talked about doing uh, the Star Wars 3D issues, too. I don't know how serious we were about that. But that's essentially, once we get through the Star Wars 3D, that's essentially it. Because everything else that's in here is just padded filler that I don't really feel like we need to go into any of that stuff. Yeah, it's all Dark Horse stuff. Yeah, it is. And I looked, I don't know if you did, I I took a look at Wild Space Volume 2 that's out. And... uh, that looks like that's just for like hardcore, hardcore completists because I I just didn't see anything in there. I mean, there's definitely no Marvel Star Wars in there. But I just looked at it and was like, eh, I don't think that's worth my money, so I passed yeah. on that one. But I wondered what was going to happen with that. Yeah, it seemed like pretty much everything that we needed was in this one. Yep, exactly. So the only other thing at this point that I'd still like them to do, just to save me money is I would still love to see them do a <laughs> you know a book or a, or some sort of collection of just the covers to the UK stuff. Yeah. If they wanted to do the beautiful. covers and then also throw in all the art that was exclusive as far as like pinups and, and index pages and stuff. I wouldn't argue with that either. Take my money. I, I'm telling That'd you. That would be a nice I, coffee table oh, book. Oh, that would be awesome. That would be awesome. I don't know that they'll ever do it, but that would be awesome. But I'm grateful for what we got. I'm, I'm glad that 
by and large, they did reprint most of the covers uh, for these stories in this omnibus. I, I do really like that. So, anyway, there's a little glimpse into the future of, uh, of what we've got for you coming along on Star Wars Monthly Monday. You can sponsor an episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows. Simply click the PayPal link on our website, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode, with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy, and there is no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. Anytime you plan to visit Amazon.com, please be aware that if you use the Amazon.com link located on our website, www.2TrueFreaks.com, 2 True Freaks will receive a referral bonus for any items you purchase. There is absolutely no additional cost to you whatsoever for doing this. All proceeds go directly toward keeping new episodes of all your favorite 2 True Freaks affiliated podcasts rolling, and it really helps us out. So please... Use our Amazon.com link anytime you plan to visit Amazon.com. Welcome to Amazon. I love you. <laughs> visit our website at 2TrueFreaks.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Join our forum at forumforgeeks.com, where you can discuss all of the shows on our feed with us and your fellow listeners. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. And hey, you can friend me, Scott Gardner, on Facebook, too. My name is spelled S-C-O-T-T-G-A-R-D-N-E-R. You can friend me on Facebook, too, if you can find me. Now available, Two True Freaks t-shirts. See our website for details. Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. You can check that out at www.comicspodcast.com, where you can hear our new episodes when we put them up. We are also members of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com slash league. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? Thanks for listening. And join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks. Prentice Magnus punches reality. Movies, comics, and TV shows. Listen as Trentus Magnus punches reality. Magnus.libson.com